text this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 14 through 22. Chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. We all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? But do I imply then that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? The Lord bless to us the reading of his holy word, and to his name be glory and praise. Amen. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So says C.S. Lewis, wisely at the beginning of his screw tape letters. Paul draws a similar point as Lewis to the Corinthian Christian congregation as he helps them navigate faithfulness among what is the ubiquity of idolatry in the Corinthian culture. The landscape itself of Corinth was silhouetted with temples and statues, people's homes and shops were decorated with figurines, and tokens of their patrons, and each dinner plate held food that was butchered in the honor of a lowercase g god. <coughs> Previously, <coughs> Paul had encouraged the Corinthians that they, they could eat all things, they could eat all foods with a clean conscience, 1 Corinthians 8, 8-9, through 9. since an idol had no real existence, 1 Corinthians 8, 4. There were some strong brothers in the congregation who could see this plainly, and they could eat their meals, no matter where their meals came from, with faith and with joy. But Paul also strongly reminds those mature brothers to pay attention to their weaker brothers, whose consciences are defiled when they eat food that is offered to an idol. Taking their cues from Jesus and from Paul, the Corinthians and Christians are to lay down their rights in service to others, even when and especially when those rights are legitimate. Even when and especially when those rights are legitimate. But here Paul seems to pivot slightly by saying that the Corinthians need to flee idolatry altogether. Brothers, my advice to you, even though there are some that are wise among you, is to flee idolatry Altogether, And this isn't a contradiction of what he has previously said. The mature are technically free 
to eat without gaining or losing any of their standing before God by what they eat. Let me say that again. They're technically free to kind of eat whatever and not jeopardize their standing uh, with or without God's approval, right? It doesn't matter what they eat. But Paul adds to his commentary in this section another circumstance that's at play with idolatry. Namely, there are covenantal realities that overshadow all of our interactions with the world. So, this morning is pretty broad. Pressing in upon us is maybe unseen covenantal realities and how we engage with the world. We are either interacting with the world by faith in the one true God, resulting in gratitude and worship, or we are interacting with the world in falsehood, giving our affections and giving our trust, ultimately giving worship elsewhere. And since there is no other God, no other legitimate other God, the affection and worship that we give to anything, the trust that we give to anything that isn't the one true God, is ultimately given to demons. Paul's warning is that we can't be so naive about what we think is happening with idolatry. You can't be, you can't be this naive. More is happening than merely eating or singing or praying. You are either serving God from faith or you serve demons, but you cannot serve, in the words of Jesus, two masters. Matthew 6. Because you will either love one and begin to hate the other. So Paul takes this point and says, Brothers, it's better if you just flee idolatry. And he illustrates it this way, pressing the point of the reality of covenantal natures. He draws the Corinthians' attention to the covenantal nature of the Lord's Supper. Look with me at verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. And consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply? That food offered to idols is anything... Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. Paul is reminding the Corinthians how the world works, how this all works. When we partake in the bread and wine, the Lord's Supper, we are partaking in Christ. When we take communion, we call it communion at times. This is this image of the bread and the many parts, but the one loaf. We are partaking in Christ, but also in, a, in some regard, we are partaking as a congregation. And in some regard, with all of the saints, we are one body partaking in one loaf. The Israelites, to press the illustration even further, when they were partaking and eating in the sacrifices of the altar, they were participants in what was happening at the altar. And these are covenantal realities. We'll dive into this a little bit more. But the food itself isn't anything. The bread and wine at the table aren't 
truly the blood and the flesh of Jesus any more that food offered to idols would be like eating a demon. Does that make sense? The food isn't a charm to protect you, nor is it poison to curse you. He's already sort of dealt with this about eating and their fears and trepidation on eating and even their excitement to eat the Lord's Supper. The food itself is not a charm to protect you, neither is it a curse to damn you. This view of the supper, by the way, that it, 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 it's sort of a charm is often held by the... Uh, is held by the Roman Catholic understanding of these elements in, in, in this view called transubstantiation, that it turns into the actual blood and body of Jesus and just maintains its um, illusion of bread. But the food itself shouldn't be overestimated as a weapon against sin. Let me say that again. The food itself should not be overestimated as a weapon against sin, as if by merely eating the food, it serves as a talisman or a charm, sort of used like a vaccine, making communion a party trick, making the Lord's Supper a party trick. The impulse here would be to live however you want in an age full of idolatry because you can always come back and take the Lord's Supper, giving yourselves a clean slate, giving yourself a clear conscience, and giving yourself a fresh start to lust again the next day. And Paul says that's not how the supper is to be used. The food itself, Paul reminds them, isn't anything. It's not a charm nor a curse. But what's more in view here? where he narrows the focus even more, is not their overestimation uh, of the elements, which they could do, and he had already addressed them on. But in this text, it's their underestimation of what's happening. And I think we all, with any sermon, <laughs> but we would do well to hear this point. It, it's not said enough. They make the elements merely symbolic. And if they do that, they're in danger. If they do that with the table, they're in danger. And if they do that with the table of idols, they are also in danger. Underestimating the world in which they live in. Paul says plainly, What do I imply then, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. There isn't any devil in the food. And though the food may be offered to Apollo or Aphrodite or Diana, they aren't real. Those gods are nothing. They're fake. They're myths. But you, can, you, you still can't be so naive as to think that you can associate with the table of idols non-covenantally. Your association with the table is an association with them, just like it is with the Lord's table. It's not merely a symbol, it's an association, a participation in what it represents. The same dynamic here, by the way, clearly illustrated. Um, he told the Corinthians earlier in regard to sexual immorality, those who partake in a prostitute, listen to this, how it connects, become one flesh with her, and that one flesh union joins the Lord to that illicit affair. 1 Corinthians 6.15. Should you join the Lord to a prostitute? Never. 
there is more happening in that relationship than mere flesh touching flesh. You see what I'm saying? It's not just a, it's not just symbolic. It is a participation with the Lord and in worship and in covenant breaking apart a marriage. You can't just say it's just skin on skin, just food for the stomach and stomach for the body. The body is meant for, for food. We can do whatever we want. He's saying, no, stop. The covenants are pressed upon you. You live in God's world, and it is a world of the spiritual, not just the physical. So since these shrines and meals and music and festivals and dress and sexuality are offered in the name of these gods, and since these gods aren't real, doesn't it make these actions merely neutral? So the gods aren't real. We're just kind of doing life. We're just doing things, and it's not really affecting anything because those gods aren't real. He says, no, even if Apollo isn't real, it's not neutral. Any worship that isn't given to God isn't given neutrally. It's given to demons. Any worship, and what is worship? Trust. Affection. Value. And you say, I give my trust, but it's not given to God. It's given elsewhere. Listen to how this changes the entire scope of how you would live your life. If it's not given to God, it's not given neutrally. It's given to demons. You can't sit at the table of the Lord and the table of demons trying to serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. So what do you do? Paul sandwiches this section of text with his clear instructions. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. Verse 20, I do not want you to be participants with demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So when we look at our own landscape, you know, the Corinthian landscape dotted with steeples and temples and places of worship, you look at our own landscape, is our world steeped in as many idols as the Corinthians? Yes. Absolutely. They may look different in our time and have different names, but our relationship to them is exactly the same. And remember, last week Paul was warning the Corinthians about idolatry, and you know what his examples were? Do you remember? They were examples from their forefathers in Israel, and they weren't merely statue worship. It was complaining and lusting and doubting, among other things. Idols can be anything that we place our trust in other than God. Security. You don't have a compartmentalization where it's, we can opt in and worship the one true God or live our lives neutrally. Paul says that's a false dichotomy. You don't have the neutral option regardless of the legitimacy of the name of the idol you're worshiping in. Apollo's not real, but you're worshiping nonetheless, worshiping a demon. 
We can either interact with the world and all of its benefits in joy and in worship to the one true God, or we can interact with the world as a means to satisfaction and blessing and meaning outside of God. One is partaking at the Lord's table. And as it were, the other option is sitting at the table of demons. There's no neutral table. Because the world we live in is a supernatural world. Paul reminds them just a few verses later, so whether you eat or drink, This is chapter 10, verse 31. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything you do, brothers and sisters, is meant to be an act of worship to God. Not some things and not this thing this morning, whatever we're doing here, Sunday school and and listening and singing and the participation at the Lord's table. And then throughout your day, you might pray for meals and do some things, but then other things you can indulge in or engage in neutrally. It's not an option. Paul says in all things, as those made in the image of God, we are to eat and drink and whatever we find ourselves doing in gratitude and in worship. Remember Lewis's advice from the beginning of this sermon. Hearing this is foreign to our ears. So the temptation will be to disregard it or to disregard the demonic as a fable or to fear the demonic as sovereign, which neither are correct. But here's where you can tell where our misplaced affections serve the demonic. When the world around us is taken in worship to the one true God, the result is gratitude and life, an outpouring of the good and the beautiful and the true. But when the world is taken falsely, The end result is always to break down a destruction and a marring of those who are made in the image of God. The fruit in the garden wasn't poison. Pay attention to that. The fruit itself in the garden wasn't poison. Do you know why it was cursed? It was taken on false premises. It was engaged in and indulged in because it was attached to a lie. Does that make sense? And that is the way our world plays out. That is the way our world plays out. Covenantally, it was associated with Satan. That's what this sermon's about, by the way. This isn't merely an insight into what's happening at the Lord's Supper. That's sort of another sermon. It's about how we're going to live in our world tomorrow. That's what this sermon is about. So take many of the altars in our time and run this test. You can say like Eve, it's just fruit, right? looks good to the eyes. It's not just fruit. You can say it's just music. It's just a movie. It's just pictures. It's just kissing. It's just a drink. You can say that anything is merely substance. Paul says you can't. Nothing is merely substance. Nothing is merely neutral. Can't say that. Does it automatically make everything in the world evil? No, it does not. But they are dishes that can be taken from either one of two tables. The world around us are dishes that are laid on either one of two tables. Either you take the world and consume it from the table of the Lord with thanksgiving and gratitude and trust, 
or you can take and trust in another table, trying to consume this world without the Lord. And do you know what happens there? You are the one that's consumed. Trying to engage in the world, it becomes you are the one that is consumed. Even Adam thought that they were eating fruit, but it was they who were being consumed. Your adversary, the devil, roars around like a prowling lion seeking to, what? Devour. It's an interesting thing here. So he's saying when you engage in the world and it's not in worship to God and you think it's just kind of neutral, it's not. It always has one effect. This is the interesting part. It's the part we can kind of attune ourselves into. And that effect is always the devouring of those made in the image of God. Satan hates you. So do we see any devouring anywhere in our culture? Or is it all just neutral? We just kind of have neutral. Do we see a devotion to free sex produce a demand for abortion? We do. Do we see newly elected idol of our feelings leading those to chop off body parts? We do. Are there any local teens selling themselves on the internet? There are. Are there lies that lead to the desire of self-harm? Do we see ethnic pride turning to fights or killing? Do our phones simply make phone calls, or do they turn themselves into portable brothels? The list can go on. There's no such thing as a neutral world. Worshiping God brings life. But all idolatry... All worship that isn't to God has one trajectory, a trajectory that stills, kills, and destroys. And Christians cannot be those who dine at Christ's table on Sunday and the world's table on Monday. You can't come and take communion today and then tomorrow go sit and think that the table is neutral tomorrow. All things must be done in worship to the one true God. The truth is the whole world's hungry. Scripture speaks to this everywhere. But the Christian's testimony is that he has come to the bread of life, to the living water, has consumed of Christ, is whole, and is satisfied. Christian's testimony is not that we need to sit at the banquet provided for us by the rest of the world, showing our need and our deep hunger. No, we testify that we eat from Christ alone. We trust him. We partake in the world before us covenantally. It's the world of the Lord. It's the world of our Father. We will listen to his commands, and we will fear him. We will not fear man. So Paul's admonition is to flee idolatry. Run from that which promises life outside of Christ. Listen to that again. Run from that which promises to you life outside of Christ. Take this, take this fruit. It's good fruit. Nothing's going to happen to you. Don't take the world on false premises because it is in neutral. Anything that's asking you to worship it that is not God is a participation in evil. Do not sit at the table with those who are trying to eat their lusts. They are the ones who will be consumed. Take everything today, take everything tomorrow as a gift from the hands 
of the Lord and be satisfied.